Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's Word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. Canadian Rockies, the Canadian Shield. Is that going to last forever? How about a diamond ring? Don't they say that diamonds are forever? Well, Peter tells us in the book of 2 Peter that when the day of the Lord comes, there will be a, a, a tremendous change. It says the heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements and the earth will burn up. In other words, everything's going to go up in flames. And then God will recreate a new earth and a new heavens. So that means that everything that you see around you is not going to last forever. Not your house, not the Canadian Rockies, and, and not your diamond ring. Nothing that you see around you is going to last forever. Well, actually, there is one thing that will last forever, right? There is one thing that is engineered for eternity. What's that? People, right? People are going to last forever. People will last forever either by being with Christ in the new heavens and earth forever or the Bible says by being apart from Christ in a horrific place that the Bible calls hell. But either way, people are going to last forever. So what that means is this. If you want to invest in something that you know will last forever, invest in people. You know, Jesus did that. Jesus spent three years of his life, his public ministry, investing in people. He told the multitudes on how they could enter the kingdom of God, and then he invested heavily in a few. There were the 70-plus men and women who were part of his larger entourage. He invested in them. And then, of course, there, there were the 12 disciples. He invested in them. And within the 12, there were three that got special investment. Peter and James and John. Jesus invested himself in the lives of others. So Jesus invested in people. How about Paul? Paul did what Jesus did. Paul spent his life going around the Roman Empire telling people how they could come to that saving faith in Christ. But as he did, as he touched the many, he invested in a few. He was always kind of in a team that he was training. There were people like Titus and Luke and Barnabas and Silas and Priscilla and Aquila. And then there was the guy that Paul invested most heavily in, a young man by the name of Timothy. Now what Jesus did and what Paul did, we are called to do. Jesus made disciples and guess what his last command was to us? Go into all the nations and what? Make disciples. Invest in people. Invest in them spiritually. Paul did the same thing. He invested in Timothy, and then he told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he says, Timothy, the things I've told you, you entrust to faithful believers who will be able to train others also. In other words, Timothy, I'm entrusting you to make other disciples, other Timothys. So if you're going to invest for eternity, invest in people by making disciples, by training up Timothys. Today we launch into a new four-week series, and I'm entitling it, Investing in a Timothy. 
Investing in a Timothy. It's really kind of rounding off a trilogy of series. We started the year talking about investing your time for eternity. And then we just finished up investing your treasure for eternity. And now we begin investing your time in a Timothy. Investing in a Timothy in light of eternity. We're going to begin to talk about what does it look like for a person like you or me to invest ourselves in someone else, in a Timothy. Now let me tell you why I'm going here. what's What's the reason for this series? Well, I think you could say that one of the reasons that I'm going here is because the Bible tells us this is top priority in the church. We are to be investing, making disciples, training up younger Timothys. So it's always top burner in the church. But here's, here's something deeper. Our church leadership feels that at this season of the church's life, this is a critical issue for our church health. We believe that God is calling us to put special emphasis on training, equipping Timothys. You've noticed over the last year, we've been blessed to see many, many people become believers in Jesus. Uh, The balloons have been our our way of celebrating with each and every person who's come to faith in Christ that we've known about. But when somebody comes to faith in Christ, our job with them is not done. In fact, it's just begun. Those who make decisions for Christ need to become disciples of Christ. So when somebody makes a decision for Christ, we say, okay, now it's our job to help disciple them, train them. And we sense right now as a church, God has sent us many people who are newer in their faith, many people who want to grow in their faith. So that's one of the reasons we're dealing with this now. It's important for our church where we are right now. Now also, let me be straight up with you on what I'm hoping happens as a result of these uh, next weeks that we spend together. I'm hoping this. I'm hoping that some of you, many of you, will realize that it's time for you to take on a Timothy. Now, I know some of you are doing this already. We have some women who are mentoring other women. We have some men who are discipling other men. We have youth sponsors who are working with young people. And I'm grateful for all of that. But my hope is that more of you will come to see that you have what it takes to take on a Timothy. And that you will do what it takes to take on a Timothy. That you will choose to invest yourself in an eternal way in the life of someone else. Now, I know that some of you, as you're hearing this, are probably in your heart thinking this. You're probably thinking something like this. You know, Jesus could do that. And Paul could do that. But I don't think I could do that. I mean, I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to do. Well, if you're unsure about what what it would take, what it would look like for you to invest in the life of a younger believer or invest in the life of someone who has the potential to be a leader for Christ, if you're not sure what that looks like, then the next four weeks are for you. Because we're going to learn. We're going to learn from a pro. We're going to look at the life of Paul and see what he did with the first Timothy. What did Paul do to train Timothy? And we're going to learn some practical, transferable lessons on what you can do, what I can do, if we were to invest in the life of a Timothy. So we're going to learn from Paul and apply it to ourselves. And I'm trusting that this this little series is going to spark in you the sense that, you know what, God has given you what it takes to take on a Timothy. Here's where we're going to start today. 
I'm going to talk to you about something that's essential. If you're going to invest in the life of someone else, here's an essential component, a foundational component that you'll want to know about. It's something that makes your investment have more impact. Today I want to talk to you about the place of godly affection. When you, when you want to invest in someone else's life, the importance of having a God-centered, God-honoring affection for that person. The difference that it will make to have a godly affection. And we're going to look at that by seeing how Paul had a godly affection for young Timothy and the difference it made in his life. To do that, I'm going to invite you to go to the books where we'll be spending a number of, uh, number of moments here in these next few weeks, and that is the books of First and Second Timothy. Today we're going to begin in Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. So would you join me there if you, if you need a Bible? The blue Bibles in front of you are for your use, and it's page 842. We'll get you to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Today we want to talk about investing in a Timothy through godly affection. I hope this will encourage you and help you realize that God has put within you something that you can give to someone else. Let's pray. Father, I know that it is one of the great joys in my life to have been able to give something to someone else spiritually and watch them take it and move with it and run with it. And Lord, I know that your call on us as a church is to be a church where people who are young in their faith or people who want to grow in their faith are helped or are assisted by those who are older in their faith, those who are more stable and mature in their faith. So I pray, Lord, that you'll be working in our church connecting Paul's and Timothy's. Lord, use these moments that we spend together in your word today, I pray. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pick up reading what Paul says to young Timothy, writing to him, 2 Timothy chapter 1, picking it up in, in verse 1. Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that it now lives in you also. Paul says to Timothy, he says these words, verse 2, he says, Timothy, you are my dear son. Uh, the Greek word there for dear is the word agape. You are the son of my love. You are the child I love. You are my spiritual child, and I love you. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, he says, Hey, and I never stop praying for you. And when I pray for you, I light up with thanksgiving. I thank God for you, Timothy. You mean a lot to me. And then in verse 4, he says this, I long to see you. I remember your tears. Probably the tears at their last farewell. And he says, I, I remember that, and I long to see you, because when I see you, I am filled with joy. And then in verse 5 he says, and I'm convinced of this, you have a very sincere faith, just like your mom Eunice had and your grandma Lois had. Do you sense the affection that's coming out in Paul's words? He's pouring it out. He's saying, Timothy, you mean a great deal to me. Now when Paul wrote these words, he had known Timothy for over a dozen years. Probably 12 to 15 to 17 years he had known him. And he had developed a deep affection for him. 
a godly affection. But if you want to know how that developed, you've got to cycle back to where they first met. You've got to go back to the beginning of their friendship, their partnership, and see how it unfolded. And that's what I want to do. I want to give you an overview of their lives that will kind of play out in these next few weeks. So keep your place here in 2 Timothy. Go back with me to the book of Acts, please. Acts chapter 16. Just a few pages earlier in your Bible. Acts chapter 16. And I want you to see how uh, Paul met Timothy and kind of how they spent some time together. Look at Acts chapter 16. We find that they first met when Paul was on what we call his second missionary journey. Paul and his teammate Silas had taken off from Antioch, and they had gone up into modern-day Turkey, and they came to an area that was known as Lydda, or, or the, the uh, area of Derby, these two little towns. And there he meets a young man named Timothy. Look at chapter 16, verse 3. It says, He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Here's the story. Paul is traveling along on his missionary journey, comes to Lystra and Derby and Iconium, this little uh, series of towns there, and he meets a young man by the name of Timothy. Now, Timothy has a sterling reputation with the other believers. It says he is spoken well of there by the other believers. And Paul looks at him and says, you know what? This young guy has potential. And Paul says, I'd like to take him along with me on my travels. Now, that was a bit of a risk for Paul because on his first missionary trip, he had also taken along a young man. Do you remember that story? A young man by the name of John Mark. That one didn't go so well. John Mark bailed on the team and went home. And Paul could have said, look, I know about these young guys. They're unstable. They're going to start strong and then they'll wipe out. But Paul didn't do that. He took a risk with this young man, Timothy, and he says, would you come with me? Evidently, Timothy says, I'll go. And so they head out. They leave Lystra and they they start heading west across what we know as Turkey. And they run into a series of roadblocks. If you read verses 6 through 8, we find that they keep it in closed door after closed door until they come to the coastal town of Troas. And they're stuck. They have no more place to go. They've hit the water. Timothy is with them. Silas is with them. And Paul prays. And God gives Paul a vision. We call it the Macedonian vision because he sees a man from the area of Macedonia saying, come on over and help us. So Paul and the team... They cross the Aegean Sea and they go to modern-day Greece. We know as modern-day Greece. Then it was called Macedonia there. And they go, their first stop is to the city of Philippi. And you can read about that if you wanted to uh, read this in chapter 16 of Acts. They go to Philippi. And you remember what happens in Philippi? Well, Paul and Silas get tossed in jail. They're speaking about Jesus. They're arrested. They're beaten and thrown into jail. Fascinating. Timothy is not thrown into jail. I don't know why, doesn't, we're not told. Maybe they just saw Timothy, the authorities, as some kind of little young, runny-nosed kid, and they thought, he's harmless, let's get these two ringleaders and deal with them. Timothy doesn't go to prison, but he's in Philippi with him. He watches all of this. Well, the Lord kind of breaks free, does an amazing jailbreak on them, you can read about that. Paul and Silas and Timothy leave Philippi, and they, they head on to Thessalonica. 
And there they witness and many people come to Christ. But again, things get hot. They have to leave the town, Thessalonica. They go down a little bit to the city of Berea. And there in Berea, many people come to faith in Christ. So Timothy's watching all this. But some folks from Thessalonica who didn't like Paul in the first place come down to Berea. They stir things up. And we're told that Paul has to leave Berea. But if you look at chapter 17 and verse 14, you find that he leaves Timothy and Silas in Berea when Paul moves on. Chapter 17, verse 14 says, The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. So Paul goes south down to the city of Corinth, and he starts to serve there. A little bit later, Timothy and Silas come down. The team is reunited in Corinth. They spend a year plus, a year and a half in Corinth, and then they start to make their way home. They go to Ephesus, back in modern-day Turkey, and then they go down to Caesarea and up to Antioch. Now, Timothy was there for all of this. He saw it all. A little bit later, Paul decides to make a third missionary journey. Guess who he takes along? Timothy. On the third journey, they go to Ephesus. They hover around Ephesus for two years. And then uh, Paul sends Timothy ahead into Macedonia. If you go to chapter 19, for example, in verse 22... From Ephesus on the third missionary journey, we're told this. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, where he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. So Timothy is dispatched. He's the advanced team, as it were, for Paul on journey number three. At the end of the third missionary journey, they end up in Jerusalem. And do you remember what happens in Jerusalem? Paul gets arrested and almost lynched. And Timothy's with him. Paul is arrested, he goes through a series of trials, and finally he is literally shipped off to Rome. And that's quite a journey in itself. There's a big shipwreck, and it's high adventure. Paul makes it to Rome, he's under house arrest for several years, and while he's there, guess what he does with Timothy? He dispatches Timothy to go represent him at the churches. He sends Timothy to Philippi, and then he sends Timothy to Ephesus. And while Timothy is in Ephesus, Paul writes him two letters. We know them as First and Second Timothy. And in the second letter, the one we've been looking at, if you go back to Second Timothy, he begins this letter, Paul's last letter, written shortly before Paul was beheaded by Nero. He writes this last letter in around 67 A.D., and he writes it to Timothy, and he begins by saying, Timothy, I long to see you. I thank God every time I pray for you. And look how he finishes the letter. Go with me to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9. He says to Timothy, Do your best to come to me quickly. Do your best to come to me quickly. Look at verse 21 of chapter 4. Do your best to get here before winter. Do you see how Paul is reaching out to Timothy? And he says, Timothy, I long to see you. Do your best to come see me. Would you come? He asked Timothy to come be with him. So over the years, there has developed between Paul, the mentor, and, and Timothy, his protege, this strong, godly affection. They've spent time together. They've been through adventures together. And when Paul is about to end his life, he says, you know who I'd like to see? I'd really like if I could see Timothy. Now, as you hear all that, you realize that this godly affection really was something that Paul had for Timothy, and it meant so much to Timothy. You may ask yourself, well, how does a person develop that? If you were to invest in the life of someone else, how would you go about finding that kind of godly affection for the other person? 
What does it take to develop godly affection? What I'd like to do in our time remaining is look back at this relationship between Paul and Timothy and show you a couple things that help develop godly affection. Some things we can learn about it. And I want you to be thinking about your life and perhaps someone that you might invest in. I want you to learn some lessons about how to develop godly affection. Let me show you at least three things about godly affection that comes out of their, their partnership. First one is this. This is an encouragement to me, and I hope to you. First thing is this. Godly affection, first thing we'll see, godly affection is not diminished, is not diminished by personal differences. You can have a godly affection for someone even if that person is rather different than you are. Godly affection is not diminished by personal differences. So if you're going to pour yourself into someone else's life, they don't have to be a clone of you. Paul and Timothy were very different people. Let me show you at least three differences in their life. First of all, there was a difference in background. In background. Very different backgrounds. Paul was raised as a strict, strict uh, Pharisaical Jew. In uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, I am a Hebrew of, a he of the Hebrews. I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And then he says in Acts chapter 22 and verse 3, he says this, I was trained under Gamaliel, who was one of the leading rabbis of the day. So Paul has this strict Jewish upbringing. Okay? What about Timothy? Uh, Timothy, he had a very different home life. His, uh, we saw in Acts 16, his father was a Greek and not particularly a believing Greek, not necessarily a Christian. His mother was Jewish, but she was a Jewish believer. So very different home life for Timothy than Paul. Different backgrounds. How about this one? Differences in age. They were very different when it came to age. In the book of Philemon, Paul writes this in verse 9 of Philemon. He calls himself Paul the old man. He says, I, Paul, Paul the aged, Paul the old man. So Paul sees himself as kind of the old guy. But when he writes to Timothy, he talks to Timothy as the young guy. There was a big difference in their age. In fact, go with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy, just back a few pages, to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this. Paul writes to him, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. He says, don't, hey, Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you are young. Now, when Paul wrote 1 Timothy, he had already known Timothy for about a dozen years. So if Timothy was still young when Paul wrote 1 Timothy, think of how young he must have been when Paul first invited him to travel with the team some 12 years prior. So Paul, the aged Timothy, the young man. Differences in background, difference in age. Here's another one. Difference in temperament. Difference in temperament. What do you think of when you think of Paul? What kind of profile do you get? What pictures in your head? Well, I, from what I read of him, Paul seemed to be the guy who never, who never was afraid of conflict or controversy. I'm sure he had his weak moments, but he seems to be a guy that could take it on. What about Timothy? His temperament seems to be really timid, reticent, reluctant, hesitant. In fact, if you go back to our passage, 2 Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 7. Paul has to write this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7. He says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. He seems to have to kind of prop Timothy up and say, Timothy, look, don't be so timid. Someone described Timothy as a man of years, 
tears and fears. Not many years, but many tears and fears. So differences between these two guys, and yet godly affection is not diminished by personal difference. So that means if you're going to invest in a Timothy, they don't have to be just like you. Well, you say, well, what's going to bring a person together? What's going to make that godly affection? If we don't have the natural connections, what connection do we have? And the answer to that is the second thing I want you to see. It's a supernatural connection. See, the second thing we're going to see in their relationship, we can apply it to ours, is this, is that godly affection, godly affection is deepened. It is deepened by shared devotion. What makes godly affection flourish is that it has a foundation of a shared devotion to Jesus. If you'll keep your place here and go with me to the book of Philippians. We're in Timothy, so go back towards the beginning of the Bible just a little bit from Philippians, or to Philippians, chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 2. Pick it up at verse 19, please. Paul writes this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. Now catch verse 20. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone else looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. See that phrase in verse 20, I have no one else like him. The Greek word, it's just one Greek word that translates that whole, that whole sentence. The Greek word is isosuke, which means same or equal soul. He goes, I found a guy with an equal soul. He is a soulmate to me. The New American Standard says he is a kindred spirit. And I think what drew them together is Paul saw in this young man the same kind of heart for Christ that he had as an older man. He saw in this young man this potential, this man who was sincere in his faith, who loved Jesus and who loved to serve Jesus. And that shared devotion began a deepened and growing affection. So if you're looking for someone to invest your life in, you know what you look for? You look for somebody who shares your devotion to Christ. Look for someone that when you see them, you go, you know what, that lady, that man, uh, they got it. Doesn't matter how old they are, younger than me, doesn't matter if they're older than me, but they have it. We share this devotion to Christ. Paul had that with Timothy, and that deepened this godly affection. So, godly affection is not diminished by personal differences. It's deepened by shared devotion. Well, you say, okay, once you have that initial connection, then what do you do to, de- to deepen this godly affection? Well, here's the third thing and the last thing I want you to see today. And Paul's example, as we learn this, is that godly affection is developed by intentional investment. If you want to have godly affection, you're going to have to make an intentional deposit, an intentional investment in the life of the other person. Let me show you quickly three ways that Paul invested intentionally in Timothy. First thing he did, he invested time. He invested his time. And that's what you and I will need to do, invest time. Think of all the time Paul spent with Timothy. They traveled together. They ate together. They worshipped together. They were chased out of cities together. This was high adventure. And if you and I want to invest in someone, it's going to involve time. And you say, well, that's the one thing I don't have. 
How can I add time? I mean, that's, I, I struggle with that. How do you add time to your life? You already feel maxed out. Well, here's a couple things Paul did that maybe I can do and maybe you can do. You know what Paul did with Timothy that I can follow in his, his example is this. Do, the, do these two things. In, invite someone where you're going and involve someone where you're serving. That's what Paul did. He invited Timothy to go where he was going and he invited Timothy to serve where he was serving. Timothy, this is where I'm going. This is where I'm serving. Why don't you come with me and let's do it together? If you can invite someone where you're going, in other words, involve them in the, the mainstream of your life, have meals together, or spend some time as you're just going through life, and if you can involve someone where you're serving in your area of ministry, well, then you can kind of life on life. As I look at the people I've invested into most over the years, they've been people who are going where I'm going and are serving where I'm serving. I said, can you come with me? Let's do this together. So invest time. Here's the second thing. Invest truth. Invest truth. Paul invested truth in Timothy. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, please. Paul says this, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Look at chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul says, You, however, know all about my teaching. Timothy, you know all about my teaching. I've taught you well. Go down to verse 14 of chapter 3. It says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul invested the Scriptures, the truth of God in Timothy. And if you're going to invest in someone in a spiritual way, let the Bible be the center of what you do together. Right now I'm uh, meeting again with some men, and we meet every couple of weeks, and you know what we do? We're all reading the Scriptures in the same passage, and when we get together, we talk about what we're learning. The Scriptures is what we invest in with someone else. So invest time, invest truth, and here's the third thing, invest trust. You start to trust someone and you give, them, you give them opportunities to serve with your blessing. Paul dispatched Timothy to Corinth. He dispatched him to Philippi. He dispatched him to Ephesus. In fact, when he sent him to Corinth, listen to what Paul says when he sent uh, Timothy to Ephesus, or excuse me, to Corinth. This is from, I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes this, Therefore I urge you to imitate me, and for this reason I am sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. He says, look, I'm sending you Timothy, and what he tells you, you can count it as from me, because I trust Timothy. I love this guy, and he will tell you my ways in Christ Jesus. He will teach you what I taught him. Paul trusted him. And as he did, the affection only grew. So godly affection is developed by intentional investment of time, of truth, and of trust. I remember in seminary, Dr. Hendricks, Howard Hendricks, used to tell us this. He says, you know what? You can impress people at a distance, but you can only impact them up close. And if you want to make an impact that will last forever, 
Here's what I'm going to be asking you to do over these next week. Would you begin to pray and say, Lord, is there someone younger in the faith? Is there someone around me that, I, that you would want me to make an intentional investment in their spiritual growth? Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what? I'm a younger one in the faith. I need someone to make that investment in my life. Over these next weeks, we want to try to connect you. We want to help you find someone who can be that Paul to you. Or if you can be a Paul to someone else, we want to help make some connections. But this week, I'm asking you to pray and say, Lord, who is, who is my Timothy? That's my question for you. Who is your Timothy right now? If you've known the Lord Jesus for any length of time, it's time to take on a Timothy. Let's pray. Father, in these next weeks, I pray that you will not only show us that we need to do this, but then help us to know how to do it. Help us to know how to take our little life and our little deposit and make an internal huge investment in the life of someone else. And Lord, I pray that as a result, some who are new in their faith will be strengthened and taught. Some who are emerging leaders would be raised up. And then some who are strong and stable would feel like they've made an investment that's a legacy. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.